Hi everyone, uh, my name is Jillian and we are in our summer series here at Anchor Point titled Praying Through, where we are looking to the Psalms as a guide to pray through the very real human experiences and emotions we all feel at one point or another in our lives. Our goal as disciples and apprentices to Jesus are to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. And Jesus, during his life on earth, prayed the Psalms. And though he was fully God, he was also fully human. And so we can trust that though perfect in his response to situations in his life, Jesus did experience all of the emotional and spiritual trials that we do. So if praying the Psalms was important to him, then they should be important for us to learn as well. Uh, a note before I begin today, the Psalms are poetry and they are full of rich language and metaphor. And by the very nature of poetry, we will find that my experience and relationship with a particular Psalm may be different than yours. Today, we're praying through Psalm 139, which is a Psalm I often associate with my pregnancies because it was written to me inside cards or lovingly hand-stitched onto quilts. And that is likely different than your experience. And it is definitely different than David's. And that's okay. Scripture is God's living word given to us. And so the specifics of what this psalm or any psalm mean to us may differ. But the truth of God in these words is universal and unchanging. And so that's what we are going to focus on. So today's psalm is Psalm 139. It is beautiful and likely to be familiar to you. We are going to use it to pray into grace, which is the unearned and unmerited favor of God given to us as a free gift. In the long list of blessings in my life, grace is at the top. And I think we could spend many happy mornings discussing what it means and how we can live into this gift. But today we are looking at grace in the context of a psalm, which is all about being truly seen and truly known by God. And if we are being honest, being seen so clearly is both wonderful and frightening because contemplating grace means looking at the wonder of the gift itself, but also the reason why God's grace is necessary for us in the first place. So we're going to start with reading Psalm 139 together. And as we do, I invite you to let yourself honestly take stock of how the words make you feel. Do you feel joy, wonder, shame, fear, thankfulness, just try and be honest. Then I have a few things to unpack for us and we will finish by praying the psalm. And I am trusting that there will be a difference for some of us between the first and the second time we hear the psalm today. So I'm just going to pray quickly and then we're going to read the psalm together. Lord, I just thank you for being here. I thank you for your living word that speaks to us. I pray that we hear your simple and honest truth 
And I pray that you will be revealed to us more fully today, Lord. Amen. All right, Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, all you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. So something you may or may not know about me is that I studied landscape architecture. And so something I had to learn was how to read architectural drawings. And when you are presented with a drawing, the first thing you look for is the scale because scale affects everything. So if a drawing is a thousand to one scale, then one centimeter on the drawing would mean 1000 centimeters in the real world. And if the drawing is one to one scale, then one centimeter on a drawing is actually one centimeter in the world. And there are huge implications for the amount of detail I see based on the scale of something. So what I discovered about myself in school and through working afterwards is that I am more comfortable with projects on a large scale, which is why if you want to talk about cityscapes or trail systems, I am all in. Whereas if you were to come and look at my yard, you would have no idea that I have a landscape background. 
And this is likely a truth for many of you. Some of us are large-scale thinkers and others are very detail-oriented. And for the most part, we get along just fine that way. However, something I have discovered about myself through my faith journey thus far is that I have a comfort level with the scale at which God works as well. And if I'm honest, I can be far more comfortable with a God who works at a scale in which I can't see the details of. God at a thousand to one scale, as opposed to God at a one to one scale. For example, I love praying in Alliston as it is in heaven. And it's easy to pray that God be at work in a certain vulnerable community. I can even bring it in closer than that. I'm comfortable with praying for the specific needs of a dear friend, as we've been learning to do. I genuinely want these prayers answered, and I have a vested interest in them. But the details of how God works in those situations will never be fully clear to me. That is all God working at a large scale. But though God is infinite and all-powerful and more immense than we can possibly imagine, he does not only operate at large scales. He is also the God who knows me to the tiniest detail, who discerns my going out and my lying down and is familiar with all my ways. And that can be uncomfortable because now I am faced with the God who is both large and small scale, who is omniscient and omnipresent and who sees my inmost being. And my inmost being is not great. There are things in our pasts or in our present, things that we do or think or say or things that have been done to us that bring up feelings of shame or regret or fear. And it can be painful to look at those things, to expose the details of our experiences. And so most of the time, we don't expose them. We often don't want to be fully seen. In the beginning, when Adam and Eve doubted who God was and were deceived they found that their nakedness, though not new, was suddenly shameful. And so they hid from God. That was the first instance of a false self being put on. Adam and Eve suddenly found that there were parts of themselves they were afraid to reveal in the presence of God. The desire to hide is unfortunately present in all of us. That is the human reaction to what we think is shameful. But what is God's response to our hiding? It's to seek us. He calls to his hiding children, where are you? When I read this psalm, what comes to mind for me is a title given to God early on in the biblical story. I'm going to throw a few Hebrew words at us this morning. Please don't mind my pronunciation. So the title is El Roy or the God who sees. This is a title given by Hagar, a woman whom God found hiding in the wilderness, pregnant with Abraham's child, which if you'll remember the story from their last series, The Promises of God, you re may remember that Hagar was not the intended 
mother of God's uh, set-apart family. So because of what she has done, but mostly what has been done to Hagar, she's not living her best life in the wilderness. Hagar had the human reaction to hide. The God reaction was to seek her and to see her. I'm going to read from Exodus 16, starting at verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside the road to Shur, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. We read a few verses later that she did bear a son, and a few chapters later that God continued to see Hagar and her son, and though they were not his chosen line, God did make a nation of Ishmael, as he promised. In their encounter, God reveals to her and to us something of himself when he meets her, despite her circumstances, with compassion and with grace. There is another similar story told in John 4 when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. She is there at the well at midday, which signals to us that she is too shamed to join the other woman at the well in the cool of the morning. But Jesus sees her there, and he really sees her. He speaks of her multiple divorces and the man she lives with who is not her husband, and all the reasons that the other women will not associate with her. He shows her that he sees all of these things that she is ashamed of, and he meets her with compassion and with grace. Back to today's psalm. Verse 11 is the human reaction, the hiding. It says, Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. And verse 12 is God's response to our hiding. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. In the words of one theologian, he has followed us into our own darkness. There, where we thought finally to escape him, we run straight into his arms. So we can hide from those around us. We can even hide from ourselves. But though we try, we cannot hide from God. So why do we try? Why is hiding our reaction to regret or shame? I would argue that it goes right back to the beginning. The deception Adam and Eve fell for is the same one we still fall for when we feel the need to hide from God. The deception is that God cannot be trusted, that he is less than good. Verse 20 of Psalm 139 says, They speak of your name with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. 
God's enemies cannot make him less good. They can only twist our perceptions of God, leading to mistrust. You would have heard this before here at Anchor Point. Wrong understanding leads to wrong living. So we need to continually reorient ourselves to who God really is. The question is, who do you know him to be? If you are unsure, a good place to look is the definition God gives of himself to Moses in Exodus. This is Exodus 34, verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Who do you know him to be? If we could ask Hagar or the Samaritan woman, I think they would answer the compassionate and gracious God. I mentioned earlier that I have an association with the psalm to my pregnancies, and so I loved that this next part worked into the message. The Hebrew word for compassion is racham, and it's related to the Hebrew word for womb, which is rachem. Compassionate love is what a mother feels for her infant child. It is a love so disproportionate to the pain and the exhaustion and the suffering that this little human has so far brought to her. It's a love almost shocking in its intensity. The way Jesus most clearly reveals God to us is as a father filled with compassionate love for his children. Matthew 7 verse 11, uh, here Jesus is speaking about God's gifts, comparing human present parents to the heavenly father. So this is Matthew seven eleven. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven good, give good gifts to those who ask him? So if I... Though I struggle with selfishness and impatience and pride, and though I am so exhausted, I am actually hallucinating. If I am so filled with compassionate love that I am willing to give my child my love and my body and all of my time and energy to help it thrive, how much more is God willing to give his children? It is because of compassionate love that God gives us the undeserved gift of grace. And grace is a hard concept for us to accept because it challenges our worldview that we get what we work for or what we deserve. But God, he gives it after seeing us fully, our true selves, that though we try, we cannot hide from him. And he gives it though we have caused him pain and he knows we will do it again. And he gives it not only unearned, but knowing full well, we will never earn it. There is a beautiful line from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it says, God looked at everything he had made and he loved them. 
and they were lovely because he loved them. It is a line that parallels Song of Songs, which depicts Jesus as the bridegroom, bridegroom speaking to his bride, which is us. You are all together beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Or 1 John 4, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Or here in Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How beautiful are these words and how unbelievable that they are written about you and about me and about every person, no matter our backstory or our shame or our regret. Grace given to us by the God who knows everything we have ever done and ever will do will never make sense and it will never add up unless we accept that who he is is compassionate love and who he loves is us and that we are lovely because he loves us. Grace affords us the freedom to not hide. It affords us the freedom to be seen as we are in our sin and brokenness that are real. I want to make that clear. I am not trying to suggest that grace affords us to live just however we want. Grace cannot be earned, but there is a right response to it. And that is what the last lines of Psalm 139 are pointing us toward. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What makes Psalm 139 a powerful prayer is that it was written not by a perfect man, but by a deeply flawed man who knew God and knew he needed God. Here, David is asking God to not only work at a thousand to one scale, he is not praying, God, help my people, cure that disease, defeat this enemy. Here, David is praying and inviting God to see him in full detail, to search him and to test him and then to reveal the ways he falls short of righteousness. How often do we really pray like that? How often do we invite correction and fully humble ourselves before God? Even if we practice confession, it is still often on our terms. If I ask God's forgiveness for this specific thing or help with this specific struggle, I am still setting the terms of the scale I want God to see me at. There is still a trust barrier. David's prayer removes that barrier. Is it a risk to be that exposed before God? Well, that depends. Who do you know him to be? I think a truth that we need to be reminded of often is that God is more lavishly gracious than we can possibly imagine. Through his grace, we are fully redeemed and empowered. 
And not only is hiding from him impossible, it is also unnecessary. Because through his grace, we are called his beloved children. So I'm going to pray one Psalm 39 over us now. And I just invite you to let it be your prayer without barriers. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked... Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord.